Chapter 13. The Judgment Sleeping travellers were scattered throughout the railway station. Nunia and Maria collapsed on the floor. They slept till evening on their sacks, which fell like down pillows. Somebody tripped over their legs from time to time, but nobody tried to throw them out. Perhaps they were afraid to touch them. They managed to get onto the platform. The train leaving for Sviertwogs was standing on the platform. What luck! Soviet soldiers sat in the wagons. In one of the wagons, the door was wide open, and a Soviet officer was standing. He looked at Maria inquisitively, as her face was so badly wounded. Vikuda babushka! Where are you going, grandma? Babushka? Just over forty years old? Silly man! How could he address her like that? Nunya thought. We are going to Chikcharka. Please come in. We have few empty seats. Maybe even a bank. What happened to your face? Did you have an accident? I fell. It's not a big deal. And this is your granddaughter? Yes. We are very grateful. Nunya thought that Maria was making up a story and was ready to correct her, but decided to keep her mouth closed. Perhaps her mother knew exactly what she was doing, allowing them to believe her to be a grandma. The soldiers helped them to board and sat them on the lower bank in the middle of the wagon stood an iron stove, which was very hot and brought back memories. Could this be another trap? Where did all this goodwill suddenly come from? From the same people? Perhaps they would take them somewhere very far towards the North Pole and they would never see their family again. They might travel for weeks and lies gored on them. A deadly shiver ran down Nunez's back and she tugged on Maria's sleeve. Please calm down, she said. You can rely on me. But you're close. I do not mean to upset you. The war. Nunez was sure that he would say cursed war. And he did. Preklataya vaina. They placed the kettle on the stove. Real Georgian tea was brewing and everybody received a mug of the hot sweet liquid. Well, let's drink to victory and to Soviet rule. Let the steel mugs, our charashki, click. Look how young these soldiers are. They are going to mothers, sisters and wives and then to the front. Nazdarovia, cheers, our dearest soldiers. Maria got up and took a mug half filled with alcohol. Virnitis tarave, come back healthy. Let the eyes of your mother see their sons again. Let there be no more cursed war, never again, on any part of the earth. The carriage fell silent. One of the young soldiers came up to Maria and kissed her on the hand. Thank you. I also have a very clever grandmother. The soldiers started to applaud and a happy atmosphere took over as the train set off. The young soldiers started to prepare their sleeping places. They were singing as they spread out hay and covered it with thick blankets. How luxurious, Nunya thought, as she fell into calm, warm sleep. Next morning, the soldiers prepared food, and it was very much like the supper from the previous evening. After a while, the train stopped the station with a huge sign with Schwerdwogs on it. Nunya couldn't have been more happy if the sign had read Litvinovka. The officer put a tin of pork meat into each of their sacks and helped Nunya and Maria to get down from the train as the soldiers stood by the door smiling in a friendly manner. Take care, Babushka. We will conquer and return to our homes. Please pray to your God. Let him carry the bullets towards the enemy. After a wait of three hours in Schwerdwurst, the train that they had been longing for arrived. Greetings and kisses followed the arrival, an indescribable happiness. Maria related what had happened to them in every detail, and even Zhuchek was full of admiration at Nunya's bravery. But truly, there was no words to describe the drama they lived through, and none of those listening that evening could even imagine it. Only in Nunez and Maria's memory would every detail of this suffering remain alive, 
and be remembered forever. A strong aroma of garlic hung over the room in the barrack. Even the bedbugs, which were normally very annoying, stopped biting aggressively. Every day the children were given a clove of garlic to eat, not to mention buckwheat soup cooked on a slice of the canned pork. For several evenings in a row, Maria and the family said long prayers of thanks in front of a picture of the Holy Mary. These prayers included heartfelt requests for the safe return to the mothers of all those young soldiers who had showed them so much humanity. The contact between Maria and her relatives had stopped completely. The letters she wrote remained unanswered. So the news that they had received a parcel came as a big surprise, even more so than the fact that it came from the Soviet Union. They all wondered who had sent it, perhaps the friendly Mary woman from Alexandrovka or perhaps the friendly Soviet officer they met on the train. Maria speculated out loud as she opened the mystery parcel to reveal husks of bread, tea, flour, buckwheat, a small bag of sugar and a piece of smoked bacon. Everything was packed in a small clean linen bag, one of which contained a small piece of paper with a clumsily written message. My dearest mother, Maria, I'm sending you a little parcel which I hope will sweeten your life a little. Pani Maria, you might be very surprised, but I married a Russian man. In the spring of 1941, when I left Poland, your parents gave me your address. They asked me to visit you. It was, and still is, impossible for me to do that. I live in a kofhos on the banks of the Don River, which is very beautiful and reminds me of Litvinovka. The river is as blue as the sky. In spite of my age, God gifted me a little girl. The people I meet here are very good to me and always offer to help, especially now that my husband had been killed. He was a good man who worked at a supply depot for the Soviet army in Kurienitz. After our wedding, they sent him to work on a kofhos. He was sick with stomach ulcers, but even so, when war broke out, he was sent to the front and killed in December of the same year. How are you and the twins? I'm missing all of you very much, but maybe fate will allow us to meet again. I'm eternally grateful to you, and I felt I really had the true home and family at Litvinovka. I know that the good times will remain just a memory, but I just have one wish, that my Marusha, I called her after you, lives to see better times. When she grows up, I will tell her about life in Litvinovka and the best people in the world. Kissing your hand, Olga. Nobody spoke after Maria read the note aloud. Nunya, Danusha and Ibezhuchek secretly were wiping away the tears. The spring of 1942 arrived. They third on Siberian soil. The girls were growing quickly, even in such poverty. One day Maria met the lady doctor from the hospital in Jikcharka. She was dressed elegantly with rubies shining in her ears. How nice to see you, Maria Yakovlevna. I often think about you, little Uretrek. How is he? Maria saw sadness on her face. I have been just called to the front. I'm leaving the day after tomorrow at three in the afternoon. On the day of departure, Nunya, Danusha, Zhutek and Maria holding Uretrek waited on the Jikcharka stage platform. The doctor was carrying a small suitcase and next to her stood an elderly lady with the red and swollen eyes. Mummy, this is this Polish little boy and his brave mother, the doctor said as she lifted Uretrek up in the air. The ominous shape of the lily flowers dissolved in red brightness. Nunya looked untransfixed. To her the rubies cried and the blood was trickling down the doctor's neck. She wanted to scream, take them off, take them off, they will bring you unhappiness. What are you staring at? Feeling sorry that the earrings are gone? Shame on you. They saved your brother life, said Danusha. 
But before she could utter a word, Zhutek punched her strongly on her thin, emaciated arm. Vanusha tried to calm everybody down, as it was time to say goodbye to the doctor. The train departed and people left the platform. Maria walked ahead with the doctor's mother, who was carrying a wet handkerchief squeezed in her palm. My daughter, such a clever and kind woman, I want to scream to the whole world. Why her? Why her? I only ask Grashdanka to say a few warm words to your God to protect my daughter. Yunya thought how strange that in this godless world where faith and religion were laughed at or looked at there was contempt, both old and young asked Maria to pray for them. On 27th of March, Nunez and Danusha's birthday, the table was decorated with small young bird branches which had just started to turn green. Pani Sofia fried pancakes made from the flour received from Olga. As there were no eggs, no fat, they had stuck to the hot plate and turned out burnt. But even so, all the children could not wait to be offered a sliver of this birthday cake. The sun was travelling much higher and the snow melting. It was with the greatest sadness that Nunez's family bade a final farewell to Professor Sulvinska, who was buried in the Jikcherka cemetery next to Antony's grave. In May, the children were sent in the direction of the cabbage field, four kilometers from the camp, to the dried-out swamps. Here they faced work that even grown-ups found very difficult. They had to dig up peat and lot the wheelbarrows to the brim before transporting the load to the railway wagons. At the end of April, many of the Polish exiles gathered on the platform of Jikcharka railway station. Some of them were carrying simple potato sacks in their bags, others had old scout rucksacks. They all looked gaunt. Only very occasionally would they have managed to get a plate of soup. Those departing were the young people who had responded to the appeal by Władysław Anders, the Polish general, to fight for the Polish armed forces in the east. They thought that by taking up arms they would eventually be able to free their homeland. There were many young boys and girls. Only a few families decided to join their sons, husbands or daughters on the journey and the majority, like Nunez's family, decided to stay and try to survive the war in the Ural Mountains. They feared that the journey into unknown could have turned out to be worse than Siberian hunger and cold. Nunez and her family were there to say farewell to Edmund. He had been standing on the platform for a very long time. He was not bothered if he found a place on the bank inside the wagon or if he would have to sleep on the floor. Nunya could hear him pleading with the family one last time. Mummy, let's all go together and board the train. General Sikorsky and Stalin had did sign a treaty after all. It cannot be a worthless, empty piece of paper. It is a serious treaty and will probably travel to Tashkent and then onwards. Please take me with you. I will help you to fight. Take me, please, Edmund. I beg you, cried Drutek for all the platform to hear. Edmund continued to try and placate him. I will come back to you when you grow up a little. Now look after Danusha and Nunya. Do not let anyone hurt them. You have a very important task on your shoulders. You are the only man in the household and you have to look after the women. Soon Edmund cuddled Maria in his arms. But she did not cry, her face a picture of stone-like calmness. She believed in happy return of her son and never lost faith. She kept this belief in years to come and whenever the weak flame of her faith was about to die, she would look for a little spark and blow on it to bring the light again. Edmund jumped on the steps of the wagon and when he smiled showed his white teeth, he looked so much like Antony. Maria took a few steps back to let the children say their own goodbyes. He whispered something to Lila's ear and took hold of Danusha and Nunez's hands and squeezed them hard.
Junior observed Edmund carefully. This young, tall boy in his ragged clothes with a sack on his back suddenly appeared to her to be elegantly dressed in officer's uniform. She squinted. Was it Edmund or Antony? Maybe it was not a farewell, but a happy welcome. White arms covering the silver head of Maria, who was freeing herself from the embrace and stroking his face with her wrinkly hand. Finally, finally, you came back. Maria was smiling. Nunya never again saw a smile on Maria's face after she said farewell to Edmund. But there for a moment, in Nunya's imagination, she was so happy and her eyes shone with the brightness of youth. Nunya ran quickly towards Edmund. You will come back. You will come back for sure. Our mother was smiling. He looked at her surprise. He knew she was sometimes in her own world. If you say so, I'll return for sure. The conductor called to close the train doors. Edmund jumped on the steps again, and he bent silhouette was frozen in time framed by the doors of the cattle car. Only a minute left, the whistle of the locomotive blew, and the wheels started to turn on the tracks. A month before Edmund left for the army, he was called to the director's office in the mines. He was very afraid that the management of the mine would not let him join the army. He was asked to sit down, offered a cigarette and ask about his family plans and if many Poles had decided to join the Polish army. Edmund looked at the director suspiciously and replied, I do not know, pan director. I can only speak for myself. Anyway, you have the text of my application. As far as my family is concerned, everybody except me is staying in the camp. My mother is very wise and her decision are sacred to me. I know, I know. Edmund thought that maybe he was a spy and wondered why he was so interested in Poles, and especially his own family. Maybe the Russians wanted to send them to Easter Siberia or lock them behind barbed wire. Edmund thought it would be best to leave the manager's office as soon as possible and speak to Maria. Maybe there was something in Antony's papers. Edmund felt very awkward that the handsome Russian continued to observe him with a mysterious smile on his face. Do not get worried. Nothing will happen to you. My heartfelt advice is not to give it a second thought and leave as soon as you can. It is a pity your sister cannot join you. He opened his desk, took out a few rubles and asked Edmund to hand it to Maria. He said goodbye to Edmund and shook his hand firmly. I wish you luck. Perhaps we will meet again. Of course, after the war. I will retire and you will come to visit your father's grave. He kept smiling in the same enigmatic way which Edmund found difficult to decipher. A few months after Edmund's departure, gossip made the rounds that the manager of the mine had disappeared. Different theories were suggested, and the Poles that work underground told Maria that he had been murdered by Uzbeks, who could not stand the hardship of working in the mines. Others said that he had stolen money from the mine and escaped. In his place, a new cold and cruel director was appointed, who hated Poles from the bottom of his heart, and all other exiles for that matter. Perhaps he himself had been convicted of some crime and separated from his family in a comfortable Moscow desk job. He was not kind to the miners, and they never forgot his face. He would stand legs spread apart, horse, whip in hand, looking at the exhausted miners working submerged in water up to their knees. Nobody could count on the expected thaw in the relationship between the excise and local rulers. All documents relating to this supposed shift in policy were hidden carefully in the desks of the NKVD members who ruled as if nothing had changed. Towards the end of July, and without any warning, the Polish children were replaced by Uzbeks, leaving them with no work. They had to find a way to able to gather and store food in 
order to survive the winter. It was too early for mushrooms, and the family had no goods left with which to barter. To travel to Bashkiria empty-handed made no sense at all unless to search for seasonal work. As usual, Maria came up with solution. Sophia, listen to me. I'm not sure we'll agree, but it is a beautiful summer weather. Let's send the children to Yanu. I'm thinking of Danusha, Zhutek and Helenka. I'm sure they will find some type of work, particularly as all the sofhouses are short of men, as most of them have gone to war. The weather was fine, and the three children set off to Yanu. The journey was made more bearable by a kind conductor who allowed the children to ride in the compartment, and they reached their destination without any problem. Following Maria's advice, they looked for a kofhos not too far from the railway station. They ate a ration of bread before they even boarded the train, so by the time they arrived, they were very hungry. As they set off towards one of the villages, they came across a market on the outskirts of Yanu. The Yanul Bazaar lacked any colour and was rather sad. The majority of traders were very old Marys who only lazily lifted their eyelids and their long grey beards which reached their chest. Their clothes were similar to those of the Uzbeks. They had grey beige coloured turbans. Most of the miserable goods that were offered for sale were displayed on the ground. The only exception were the round loaves of bread displayed in rows on the wide benches. Next to them were sacks of dried sunflower seeds, called shimyatki, as well as onions and garlic. They also sold dried herbs tied into little bunches, mostly mint, chamomile and wormwood. Potatoes, beetroot, carrots and black turnips lay displayed on the clothes spread on the ground. Nobody was interested in services offered by the little exiles, as they were told to go to the nearby coffers. Midday was approaching and hunger was drilling their insides and becoming unbearable. The aroma of freshly baked bread hung in the air. The market traders were cutting thick slices of bread and eating them slowly, sometimes adding some onion or a clove of garlic. The children's eyes were becoming larger and more greedy by the minute. The laid-out loaves of bread seemed to be inviting them to a feast. The trader was an old Mary and a young woman dressed in a violet-grey dress, sewn from thick linen, gathered the waist and decorated with colourful ribbons at the bottom, very much like the peasant women from Alexandrovka. The young woman kept shelling sunflower seeds without a break. Helenka whispered to Danusha and Rutek, Listen, we have to take one of those loaves from the bench. I, I mean, take, not steal. I heard Pani Plevinska telling Isofia that the Bashkiria people can be very vindictive, particularly the old men. Helenka continued, If I'm caught stealing, I will be severely punished as Soviet's law treats 15 years old, the same as the grown-ups. But who can do it? Perhaps... Zhutek, as he can run very quickly. Do you agree, Zhutek? asked Danusha. Of course, I'm not Nunya. Thank God she's not here with us. The little captain jumped towards the bench, snatched up the ogled bite, grabbed it to his chest very tightly, and then ran like a wind. The sad, sleepy bazaar suddenly erupted into life as the Mari people chased Zhutek, who stumbled over a stone which caught the badly attached sole on one of his shoes. He was caught, and the well-prepared plan was in ruins. They kicked the little thief, pulling on his rags, ready to kill. Somebody shouted, Militia. The merry men finally left Zhutek lying on the road and slowly returned to their boring duties. Danusha took advantage of the disturbance when the young Mari woman was distracted by the sight of elderly men beating up a small lost child and snatched a round shiny loaf of bread. With her loot, she bolted in the direction of the road as the traders shook their fists in annoyance but did not give chase. Holding tightly to the aromatic treasure, 
until she judged that she was sufficient distance from danger. Only then she jumped into the ditch by the side of the road, pressing her body to the ground. She rested a little, then raised her head to see that the road seemed empty and nobody had followed her. The market traders had vented enough of their anger on poor Ruczek. Helenka observed Danusha escape from a distance, and when everything had quietened down, she approached Ruczek, who lay in the middle of the road, like a wounded animal, moaning softly. His face was bloodied from the kiki, and his poor ragged clothes were in tatters. Helenka helped him to his feet, covered his back with her jacket, and wrapped his shoes with cord. She stroked his head gently and cried as she felt fully responsible for what had happened. They took their treasure and walked another two or three kilometers before sitting down to eat. It was very warm, with a slight breeze. Fields of ripening grain bordered the road and spread widely into the distance. The soft stems of long grass softly lined the bottom of the ditches. The smell of their homeland was in the air. They were not in a hurry, and nobody was waiting for them. Happily, full, they cuddled up to one another and fell asleep on this gentle but foreign land. They woke up early the next morning. The cold dew soothed the open wounds inflicted by heavy Bashkirian boots. Another ten kilometers to go, but the sun was shining happily, and the journey, if long, was not the tiring, and by the evening they reached the destination, a huge Koha settlement. The village was situated in a shallow valley surrounded by small hills covered with the bird cherry and rowan bushes. The manageress of the Kofos received them with open arms. Good, very good, dear children. The only people we have left are women and the elderly. Difficult, very difficult times. I need you. You are a gift from the heavens. Helenka quickly took advantage of the situation and laid down the conditions. Comrade, apart from the food accommodation, we need to receive food for our family. We would like flour or buckwheat, which you have here. You have no idea how bad the famine is where we come from. While collecting peat, people suck on the dumb moss or chew the young roots. Don't be too clever for your age. The whole Soviet Union is suffering from hunger because of the terrible German invaders. We are all working ourselves to the bone to supply food for the front line. I will think of something for you. You can sleep here in my office on the floor. Tomorrow you can stuff sacks with straw and make mattresses for yourselves. For weeks children worked from dawn till dusk. They weeded the ground, took the weeds away and spread manure from the stables in the evenings totally exhausted. They threw themselves on the spiky mattresses and fell asleep straight away. Despite the hardship, colour returned to the children's cheeks and their faces filled in and started to turn. The manageress of the Kofkos was very pleased. Little ones, when you go back, your mothers will not recognize you, she joked in Russian. Just like in the Ural Mountains, in Bashkiria, Danusha stood out again. She was the most conscientious, and after barely a week, she was already the favorite of the Kofkos women. And on Sundays, instead of resting, she would clean the flat of the manageress. Towards the end of September, the children returned to Chikcharka, bringing with them three kilograms of flour and back with it. Danusha, for her additional cleaning work, received as well a ring of garlic. But the food from Bashkiria was eaten quite quickly. Soon the widely cold autumn arrived, and this time even the forest was on strike. Life continued to be full of tragedy. Ten-year-old Nunya had witnessed many horrors in her life, but they didn't prepare for, for the shock when she came across the body of a young woman in the forest. The body was spread out on the mossy forest floor and was crawling with insects. Some of them were going in and out of her eye sockets. The stench was horrendous and she threw up violently, spilling her bucket with its few miserable mushrooms. 
The biggest worry for many of the mothers was ensuring that the daughters returned safely from their work in the Zagatovka. Whenever Lila taught Polish lessons at the barracks, the kind menageress of the canteen allowed her to borrow a horse to make the journey. But even then, she always tried to return the horse before nightfall. The children waited for her on the outskirts of the forest. She would jump off the horse and tie her faithful friend to a tree very close to the barracks. The grown-ups would keep a constant guard on the horse, fearful that it too may be killed for food. On Christmas Eve of 1942, the family said a prayer for Anthony's soul. This year, there were no dried flowers or spruce trees branches decorating the table. Huddled up together on their beds, they were barely capable of thinking straight. Maria and Pani Plevinska had twice postponed their faraway trip for food, and the abundance of snow and the terrible storm suggested they would not be able to set off any time soon. Finally, on the first day of January, the two women, with modest sacks on their backs, left the camp. Yunya took hold of Maria's sleeve and begged her not to travel again to the distant villages in such snowy, frosty conditions. A week passed, and the women had not returned. Cold and hunger was affecting the children more every day. Danusia was cleaning, looking after Jurecek, and trying to cheer everybody up. Nunya, Rutek and Zofia supplied water and fuel. Danusia prepared most of the meals, which mainly consisted of grating one row potato in a pot of boiling water. Every Sunday, Lila brought seven potatoes from the canteen, which she had saved up and which had to last the whole week. It was from these potatoes that they made the soup, which they called haramula, or the lame one. Danusia offered everybody a portion and each day reserved two portions for Maria and Pani Plevinska in the hope of their arrival. Sometimes they gave a mac of ramula to Sara, who would complain bitterly when none was available. When Maria failed to return, Zofia lost interest in everything. It was left to Nunya and Zhutek to get wood, and even they were too weak to go to the forest, and so resorted to stealing logs again from the pile next to NKVD building. The children's sight was now affected, and a sort of white curtain with tiny black holes often appeared in front of their eyes. Objects were not clear anymore, and while pulling logs home they had to stop more and more often and rest for longer. The weather of January of 1943 was worse than ever. Lots of Poles committed suicide at that time, either by cutting their own throats or hanging themselves from the trees near the Kulbasa. Many of them would not forgive themselves for not joining Anders Polish army and what they thought then wasting this once in a lifetime opportunity. All traces of friendliness disappeared completely and only animal instincts remained. It took superhuman restraint to stop people attacking anybody holding a piece of bread.